And as we did last week, we will look again at one of these names and how a New Testament passage shows us how Christ is the fulfillment of that name. So if you found your place, both in 1 Peter chapter 1 and in Isaiah chapter 9, we'll go back to that prophecy that we began with a couple of weeks ago, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor. And we saw how that name meant that he was a brilliant, wonderful, awesome strategist, one who gives us guidance and goes before us and behind us, the, the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies. And then we saw that he was, last week we saw he was mighty God. And this week we're coming to that third name, everlasting or eternal Father. And then next week, Pastor Ben will remind us that he was also the Prince of Peace. Now look at 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorruptible, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to be distressed by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold which perishes, though refined by fire, may result in praise glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that Christ has revealed to us the heavenly Father. But Lord, that you have, as a Father, made life possible for us. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would now guide us into truth and give us even greater cause to celebrate by the time we leave this place today so that people will have no doubt, no question about who it is we're worshiping and who it is we're celebrating this Christmas season and throughout our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. You know, there's a legend and there, that has survived for many centuries that there is somewhere, and some believe it happens to be in the state of Florida, but there is somewhere a fountain of youth, that if you drink of the waters of this fountain, you can stay young forever. And now the older that I get, the more I start to think, man, that doesn't sound like such a bad idea, man, drinking from a fountain of youth. In fact, the legend has it that, uh, that Ponce de Leon, or as we say it in Georgia, Ponce de Leon, um, was looking for this fountain of youth, that, that he was going to discover this fountain of youth in Florida, and that the Native Americans that he had come across had been able to explain and to describe this fountain of youth. Wouldn't it be awesome if there were such a thing as a fountain of youth, something that you could taste of and, and just stay young forever? And yet the message of the gospel and the message of Christmas, that the eternal God became flesh and dwelt among us, is a message that tells us there, there is something eternal about a new birth that we have in Jesus Christ. That he was born so that we might be able to be born again. Now last week we saw that he was the mighty God. And as mighty God, we turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 
15, and we saw that he was the image Jesus was from the moment he was in a manger to the point he went down a cross through his resurrection, and I believe eternally today on the throne in heaven, he was the image of the invisible God. When you people say, well, man, what will it be like when we get to heaven and we see God? We will see the glorified Jesus Christ because he is God made visible for us. And so in, in, in last week's name, Mighty God, we saw that he does reveal the Father to us. Indeed, we saw in John chapter 14, Jesus was asked when he was going to show the Father, and Jesus said, you've been with me all this time, don't you get it? If you have seen me, you have what? Seen the Father. And so in just his title, Mighty God, he is already revealing to us who the Father is. And this week we come and we discover that he is an everlasting Father. Now, what we're doing in this text in, in Isaiah 9, 6, is not narrowing the focus, saying, okay, well, he's mighty God, and as mighty God, we kind of zoom in and narrow the focus on the fact that he is everlasting Father, something that I often thought was taking place in this passage. But this phrase, everlasting Father, speaks of not just a Father who is everlasting or a Father who is eternal. It literally, in the Hebrew, speaks of one who begets or one who fathers all things that are eternal. All things that are everlasting are fathered by, brought into existence by this Messiah, the Christ, the Lord Jesus himself. He would father all things eternal, having been eternal himself from the beginning. Uh, some have called him the father of perpetuity, the father who perpetuates all things. He is the one who can make things last forever. And in a word, the Christ child. And this is kind of an ironic twist to the whole Christmas story. Jesus would be begotten of a father, right? But not an earthly father, of the heavenly father. Look, in, if you would flip with me to Matthew chapter 1. We see the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. And we're not going to read the whole genealogy, but I want you to notice the language here. And I'm reading in the Holman Christian Standard, which is also a word-for-word -word translation of the Bible, and it says, Abraham fathered Isaac. He begat Isaac. Now, we know that when we go to the hospital of a husband and wife, go to the hospital ready to have that baby, it's like the wife is like, what do you mean? He begat. <laughs> She's like, I'm the one that went through this crazy nine months. I'm the one that gave birth to this child. But because of the fathering process, he says, Abraham fathered Isaac. And then it says uh, other names that you might be familiar with in the genealogy until you come down uh, to really verse 16, where it says, Jacob fathered Joseph. Now, this is not speaking of the first patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they're mentioned back in verse 2. But in verse 16, this is Jacob, the earthly grandfather of Jesus, if you will, who fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary. But notice it doesn't say Joseph fathered Jesus. It said he was the husband of Mary who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And you know the theology behind that. You know the biology behind that. That is speaking of the fact that Jesus was begotten of the heavenly Father, not an earthly Father, who is now 
revealing, Jesus now revealing because God begets God, the heavenly Father begat the one who would be the everlasting Father for us. Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus. And if Colossians 1 gave us a beautiful picture of who Jesus was from the moment he was born in the manger throughout eternity, if Colossians 1 gave us a, a beautiful picture of who Jesus was as the mighty God, then 1 Peter, I believe, gives us a beautiful picture of who Jesus is as the everlasting Father, or the Father who makes all things eternal. And notice, again, now let's flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1. This is the passage that we'll study and, and break down and look for how he does this from the moment he came into this world. First of all, notice in verse 3 that Christ can be called our, 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 our everlasting Father, the eternal Father, the Father who perpetuates all things because Christ births us again into eternal life. Christ births us unto eternal life. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us or begotten us to a new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because of what? Because of God's great mercy. Mercy means not allowing us to experience what we deserve. Grace is when God gives us all of the wonderful things we don't deserve. Mercy is when he withholds all the horrible things that we do deserve. That's mercy. And so, why did we need mercy? We needed mercy because of our condition, because of our position. Ephesians chapter 2 is kind of a parallel passage to what Peter is saying here. And he says that we were dead, spiritually speaking, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. The word trespass means areas of disobedience. Sin means we came short of the mark. And because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we were made, if you go down to Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is rich in, and there's the word again, mercy. God who is rich in mercy has birthed us. He has begotten us. He has made us alive. How? Because of his great love, he made us alive together with Christ. So Jesus the Messiah came to birth new life in us, to birth us again unto eternal life. John 3.16 comes to mind every, with every one of these names. For God so loved the world that he gave the best gift at Christmas. He gave his only son. But what's the context of John 3.16? If you go back earlier and you read that this is a dialogue between Jesus and a religious man named... Bible scholars I'm talking to right now. John 3. Nicodemus, right? He's having a conversation. Who said that? Somebody said Nicodemus. All right, good job. Um, several of you. He's having a conversation with Nicodemus and he said... Nicodemus, and Nicodemus, well, like, how can I, how can I get, a, get into the kingdom of God? How can I be a part of this eternal kingdom? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, don't you know you must be born again? All right, so you knew, you knew the passage. I knew you were with me. You must be born again. And so it's in this whole conversation about being born again that Jesus refers all the way back to Numbers 21, and he comes back and says, I'm fulf the fulfillment of that which was lifted up, lifted up on a cross, 
And God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so that first Christmas gift was the gift of God's only son, Jesus, who would be lifted up so that he could birth us again unto eternal life. He's the one who perpetuates all things. In John chapter 1 and verse 4, we kind of see John's theological treatise of the gospel there, treatise of Christmas, if you will. In John 1, 4, he says, speaking of the Messiah and the birth of our Lord, he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So he births us again into eternal life because Jesus himself would be the very source of life itself. And so in Matthew chapter 1, we turned back there a moment ago and we saw all the begets. Turn back there again to Matthew chapter 1 and look down at verse 20. This is now the, the, the picture, Matthew's picture of this whole Christmas story. And he says, but after he had considered these things, speaking of Joseph, it says, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Now notice he didn't say Joseph, son of Jacob, but he went back to the messianic lineage there that had just been presented to us. But he said, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant. Remember, this was Isaiah's prophecy back in 714. You will give, she will give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Why did he have to be born on Christmas? Listen, God, the Son, became a man. God took on flesh. He had to be born into humanity so that we could receive his nature through the Holy Spirit. We could experience regeneration. We could be born again, and we could take on immortality. God could make that which was mortal immortal, and we could become eternal beings because God became one of us. We could experience divinity. We could have a birth and experience all that God created us to be. That's your best birthday when you're born again, but it happened because God, the Son, had a birthday. Now, I realize there are people out there that would say, well, we don't really know that it was in the middle of winter. And it probably wasn't because that's not when shepherds keep watch over the flock by night and we get caught up in this whole December 25th and that's probably a pagan holiday. Listen, every day is a day that the Lord has made. Every day on the calendar year belongs to our God and so we can pick one of them and if it's December 25th, so be it. And we can say on this day we're going to celebrate the birth of our Lord in a big way. And I want to encourage you to do that. It should be a celebration. You know, this past week, um, was my dad's birthday. I don't think he would mind me saying that because he's only a couple years older than me. But this past week was my dad's birthday. And, and you know, we, a lot of times we don't celebrate the birth of parents like we wanted our parents to celebrate our birth. I mean, he did get a phone call from me and, and hopefully from his other kids. But, you know, there's no big party and we didn't uh, come over and celebrate. Now, maybe if he would have been a, personality-wise a little bit more like Tina's dad, there would have been a bigger party because he was like, man, there is going to be cake. And it just so happens that her dad's birthday was in December too but just a couple of days after Christmas, and he would say, there better be cake here for me, and there better be ice cream here for me, and there better be peanuts. And somebody had to pick up all of those things, and they had to be in place. And then when everybody showed up at their house for Christmas, he would say, I am so glad that you're all here to celebrate my birthday. And he just made it 
It, it was like, we're going to have a party and, and we're going to have a day. We'll celebrate Christmas, but there's going to be a day that's all about me. And you say, well, what's, what's the big deal of celebrating your father's birthday? Why is, that, why is that so important? A lot of times you're like, as kids, well, no, it's, we don't celebrate parents' birthdays. It's the parents' responsibility to throw a big party for us, right? That's kind of how it works. It's the parents' responsibility to throw a big party for the kids, not the kids' responsibility to throw a big party so much for the parents unless they get, like, really old, and then you start remembering, ah, well, you know, we don't know how many more birthdays they're going to have, so we might want to throw a party for them. That's what we begin to do. But think about this. If your father had not had a birthday, you wouldn't have a birthday. <laughs> if your parents weren't here, you wouldn't be here. And so maybe as kids, uh, middle schoolers, high schoolers, pay attention, maybe as kids adults, we should appreciate our parents a little more. But spiritually speaking, our earthly father can't do something that only Jesus Christ could do as an everlasting father, the one who would perpetuate life. He could cause me to be birthed unto eternal life. And so when it comes to Christmas, we can make it all about us, or we could teach our kids, as the skit reminded us not to do, we can make our kids think this is all about you. And by the way, Christmas is all about kids and all about the children. But listen, we are doing a disservice to our children if we make it all about them and not all about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who birthed us again unto eternal life. Your mom and dad couldn't do that for you. Your grandparents couldn't do that for you. Now they can pay Santa Claus off and do a lot of wonderful things, but they couldn't birth you again into eternal life. And so it's the birthday of Christ, the very birth of our Lord, who births new life in us that we should be celebrating, not only at Christmas, but throughout the year, every day of the year. Why? Because when he was born, he was born to die. As Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20 said, by his death, through his death, he would open up a new and living way so that we might, what, experience life in him. So Christ births us again into, unto eternal life. Secondly, I want you to see in what Peter's writing here is that Christ bestows upon us an eternal inheritance. An eternal inheritance. Look back at, at 1 Peter 1. He's not only birthed us into a living hope, but it says, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfaded, that is kept, reserved, protected, treasured in heaven for you, imperishable. That word means that it doesn't rot. <laughs> How many of you, be honest, get that fruitcake for Christmas that you never eat? Nobody, was, maybe, maybe I'm the only one. A couple of you. You know what I'm talking about. You're like, yeah, we don't give fruitcakes anymore for that reason. You get that fruitcake and it looks so pretty, but it just tastes so nasty. Now, a few of you might disagree with me. But there's always that, that fruitcake that sits around and it just sort of, Next time you look at it, you're kind of like, when did we get this? Well, it's a fruitcake, probably Christmas, and it's collected a little mold. Well, I can't tell if that's mold or not. It's fruitcake. It just kind of looks like everything else. It just gets, it kind of fades away. So we kind of throw that. Listen, your salvation doesn't rot. Now, some of you on the inside need to come alive again in Christ in such a way that it's telling the outside that this thing doesn't get old, that there should be a, fresh, and, and a freshness and a newness. It's imperishable. It's also uncorruptible. Your inheritance is uncorruptible. It's free from all defilement. Why? Because it's kept in heaven for you. It's reserved. It's protected. It's in the hands of our Father. And then it says unfading. It's not going to rust away. There's a better inheritance than anything you can receive in this life 
and it's the inheritance that's reserved in heaven for you. Unfading, it's never going to rust. Now, most Christmas gifts you get this Christmas are going to collect dust or, or fade or rot or rust, right? Some of you have heard me tell the story before of, of, of a bicycle that I got one Christmas. And I was looking forward to this bicycle. It was a good-looking bike. And it was a dirt bike, and it had the nice wheels on it like we used to like to get back then. And, and the boys in my neighborhood, we were kind of a rough crowd, and we, we did a lot of things to get in trouble, get hurt, and all kinds of things. And um, we had, down at my neighbor's house, where there was kind of a terrace in the yard, we had made it a little bit higher by building a ramp. And that you could hit your you could hit that, that plywood and the, the uh, cinder blocks that we had on the other side supporting. You could hit that ramp over that terrace, and you could launch yourself, I mean, really high up in the air. It was crazy, dangerous stuff before extreme sports had been invented. I'll tell you, if you wanted to find extreme sports back in the late 1970s, early 1980s, go to Madison Oaks Road right here in Madison County, Georgia, and you would find extreme sports because there wasn't anything we weren't willing to try at least once until somebody got hurt. So I was, as we jacked that ramp up, I was ready to take my turn, and I went down that hill on my new bike, went way up in the air, and when I landed, the bike frame just broke, just And I remember thinking, I'm going to get in trouble. I just broke my brand new bike. And so we slipped off into the woods where we had a lot of other bikes, the old bikes. And I took the, the, the frame of an old bike, and I took everything new off of my new bike and put it on that old frame. And my neighbors, we kind of painted it black and had it looking just like the other one. It's just an old bike, all the new stuff on that old bike frame. And I think it was years before my dad figured out that I had, he said, is that the bike you got for Christmas? Well, it, well no, it's not. I actually broke that one. And th I think they probably thought it was kind of funny. But I remember we had, and it was behind the, the second house down from where I live, back in the woods behind their house, there were just old pieces of bike. You could always put something together. I remember riding a big 10-speed with like a 13-inch wheel on it for a long time because you, you put together what you had to ride around. But eventually, all those bikes collected rust. Eventually, we got our driver's license, which made things scarier on Madison Oaks Drive. But our bikes just began to collect rust down in the woods somewhere. I imagine if my dad or my neighbors walked through the woods behind our house, they would still find rusty bike parts back there somewhere. Just collect rust. You know what I have under my back porch now? Rusty bikes and parts. Because my kids have kind of outgrown that age as well. At the moment, that shiny bicycle, remember when your kid gets that first bike? And I'll never forget, as a matter of fact, thank God for uh, uh, Wade Scarborough, who was working here at Trinity at the time, and met my father-in-law, and, and uh, helped put a bike together for my son's birthday, and he got that shiny bike, you know, in a rust pile somewhere today. See, we, we, we have those things, the things of this world, they're shiny and new, and, and they, they get old and they fade away. Now, all those gifts that we get and receive, those things that we get worried about, are we going to be able to provide this? We would like to be able to keep up with the neighbors and all. Listen, all that stuff's going to collect rust. We need to teach our children there's something better than that. There is the fact that we have an inheritance that's bestowed upon us that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading. Romans chapter 8 speaks of this inheritance that we have in Jesus. Uh, starting with verse 15, you'll flip over to that. Hold your place there in 1 Peter. We want to come back to that. Romans 8, I've said before, if there was one chapter in the Bible that you could have, it would be a great one to have. 
It says, for you did not receive, this is verse 15 in Romans 8, if you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs, or joint heirs, some translations say, with Christ, meaning everything that Jesus has now belongs to us as well, seeing that we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. Speaking of the spiritual nature and the eternal nature of our salvation. As earthly fathers, we like to give gifts, but the best thing we can do, parents, is leave a legacy of a heavenly father who begets eternal life. Jesus, the everlasting father. And we begin to do that. We won't get caught up in the things of this world. We'll begin to lay up treasures in heaven where rust can't destroy, where moth can't corrupt. Like, well, I don't, you know, what resources do I have to invest in eternity? What are we doing with our money? What are we doing with our opportunities? What are we doing with the influence? What are we doing when God blesses us with a generation of children, that next generation? We're to invest them in eternal things because there is an eternal inheritance laid up for us by Jesus Christ himself who would become impoverished in this life, who would lay aside all of the glories of heaven to become flesh like me and like you so that he could give us his inheritance. He would become sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God and that would provide us with an eternal inheritance that's imperishable, uncorruptible, undefiled. And finally, we see that Christ blesses us with an eternal quality of life now. An eternal, not, not only do we get eternal life in that we're born again, not only do we have an, an eternal inheritance that will last forever because Jesus as our eternal Father, our, our Father of all things eternal, lays that up for us and says it will never fade away, but he also says you don't have to wait until one day when you step into eternity, when you step out of the realm of those things earthly and into the realm of those things all eternal you don't have to wait until that day to experience it in john chapter 10 in verse 10 jesus said the thief comes to kill steal and destroy but i have come that you might have life speaking of i believe eternal quality of life he says but not only do you have that eternal life he said i've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly that you might live life to the fullest this side of heaven and so it's not just okay and, and listen peter was writing to a group of people that were suffering they were being persecuted because of the gospel. They were taking a stand for Jesus in a time in history where it was unpopular to take a stand for Christ and in a region where it was unpopular to take a stand for the gospel. And they were giving up their very lives again and again because of it. And so Peter's writing and saying, don't lose your joy in all of this because Christ blesses us with an eternal quality of life that we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to get in on. Here's how we begin to experience it now. The first three verses here, verses 5 through 7 actually. Speaking of that gift reserved in heaven for you, he says, you who are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We'll come back to that phrase in a moment. He says, you rejoice in this. Rejo Wait a minute, I'm being persecuted for my faith. I I'm living a life according to worldly standards, totally impoverished and, and, and isolated, and you're telling me to rejoice 
He says, you rejoice in this. Though now for a short time you have had to be distressed by various trials. Short time. Many years they went through this. But this life compared to eternity is just a vapor, James says. It appears for a moment and it vanishes away. He says, you've been distressed by various trials. I'm speaking to people here that are having a hard time enjoying the season because of the, the stress of various trials that you're going through. Heartache and heartbreak, difficult time, difficult season of life. He says, so that the genuineness of your faith, he says, it's going to show that your faith is real. Being more valuable than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's the revelation of Jesus Christ? It's not just speaking of his first coming as Messiah. We've already discussed that, but his second coming. He came the first time so he could come a second time. He says, in this you now rejoice because of what's coming at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because of Christmas, there's going to be a second coming. And the Isaiah 9-6 passage really covers the whole Christ event that Christ would come and live and die and rise again and establish a church age and then come again and receive the church to himself so that the Christmas message, much like the, the message in Handel's Messiah, covers it all. It's, it's the reason we celebrate Christmas is because it, it covers everything from the fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us to the fact that Jesus is coming again. In the year 1719, Isaac Watts was reading Psalm 98. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, reading Psalm 98. And he was inspired to write these words. A messianic passage referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ inspired him to write these words, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Now Jeff could have let you know ahead of time what most worship leaders have heard before about Isaac Watts of this song, and that's that it was written about the second coming of Christ, not Christmas, not the first coming. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart... Prepare him room. What was Isaac Watts saying? He was saying, be ready. Be ready. When we sing joy to the world, it's a song about get ready. Jesus is coming again. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. He came the first time as a suffering servant. But when Jesus comes again, he's coming back as king of kings and Lord of lords, the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So I love to see pictures of people bowing before a a nativity. One day the choice won't be ours anymore. Jesus will return as King of kings and Lord of lords. He will rule with a rod of iron and only those who bowed by choice will not be forced to bow because they've already bowed, but every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Every people group. You know, it was over a hundred years later, after Isaac Watts wrote this, over a hundred years later, Lowell Mason took those lyrics and, and put it to a new melody that sounded a little more Christmassy, and it began to be sang as a Christmas song. Because Lowell Mason understood, I believe, that the first coming made possible the second coming. So it becomes very appropriate melody. Some say even that it was Handel who wrote the melody that Lowell Mason used to put joy to the world, to a more Christmas-sounding song, more Christmas-sounding hymn. See, we 
are to sing that now because we know what we have coming. We're to sing joy. We're to rejoice. What does he say in verse 6? You rejoice in this, that Christ has birthed us again into eternal life, that Christ has laid up an inheritance for us, and that he has changed the way we perceive the, the, the quality of life that we experience now. Verse 8, you love him, though you have not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. See, that same attitude I acknowledged that needed to change in me when I discovered that wonderful counselor meant that he was this awesome and mighty brilliant strategist who was going before me and going behind me. And, and so I don't need to just always say I'm busy or I'm tired or I'm burdened, but I can now say that I am wonderful because he is a wonderful counselor. I can also say that I have a joy unspeakable and full of glory, a joy inexpressible because I know what Jesus has done for me personally. Look at the passage again. Verse 9. Because you are receiving the goal of your faith. Usually it's a negative thing when somebody says you're going to get what's coming to you. <laughs> Jesus changed all of that. What we had coming to us was death, hell, and a grave forever. And, and because of Jesus Christ coming into this world, taking on flesh, living a sinless life, and dying in our place, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, and he's birthed us again, to not only eternal life, but now to an eternal quality of life. Now we have joy unspeakable and full of glory because, praise God, through Jesus, we're going to get what was coming to him is also coming to us. Have you lost your joy? Have you been so busy? The season hasn't been too much fun. Have you been burdened down because of the problems that you're facing? Are you going through a season of grief like you never thought you'd experience? Have you lost your joy? You know, David, King David, lost his joy because of sin in his life. And he never prayed, Lord, restore unto me my salvation. He prayed, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. This Christmas, if you've lost your joy, if you've gotten so busy trying to keep up with everybody else in the world that you just haven't sat back, relaxed, and enjoyed what God's done in your life, if you haven't communicated to your children, your grandchildren, the next generation, the true meaning of Christmas, and, and you've gotten caught up in this world's rat race, I want to encourage you. Find a place, get along with God, and say, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. If you've never experienced that, today, turn from sin and self and this world and all it has to offer, and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your King, and you will have that same Joy inexpressible and full of glory that only Jesus can bring. Would you bow your heads with me right now?